Jonah chapter 1. Would you turn to Jonah chapter 1? Man, I love this story. I'm like a little kid as I study this story. Love Jonah. Heavenly Father, you are good. So good. And this story proves it. You're so patient, so kind. So gracious. You give so many chances. Give us understanding into your word. We ask that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So you guys remember the story. Jonah was a rebellious prophet running away from God. God had given him a clear command when he was right in the middle of the promised land there. God told him to go to Nineveh preach a message, a warning of judgment against the Ninevites. And Jonah resigned as a prophet. He literally turned around and went the opposite way, trying to go some 2,500 miles away from where God had told him to go. Well, God loved Jonah too much to let that behavior continue. So the story of Jonah is a good and gracious God hunting Jonah down. So Jonah got on that boat, and you remember the story. God hurled a storm, a horrific storm threatening to tear apart the ship. The sailors on board, the mariners on board, you remember, they were convinced that it was a divine storm. And they cast lots to find out who was on board that was causing that storm. And the lots fell upon Jonah. Jonah was busted. Everyone knows he's the culprit, the runaway, rebellious prophet. And they had to throw him overboard. And that's where we left off last time together. Jonah the prophet thrown off the boat into the deep. And you can see him sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into certain death in a watery grave. And in Jonah's mind, he's probably thinking, it's all over. But the Lord does something utterly amazing. Verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah became fish food in God's fish tank. Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, and he stayed there for three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. And this is exactly what happened to Jonah. This happened literally. This isn't a figurative story. 
This is not myth. This is not legend. This is not make-up story hour for children. This literally happened to Jonah. Now, you know that there are skeptics and critics of the Bible, and they point to this story, and they say, see, the Bible's silly. It's comprised of fairy tales. This couldn't happen. No possibility. There's no explanation for this naturally, scientifically, biologically. How could you really believe this? Well, actually, I think you could explain it naturally, scientifically, biologically. A sperm well is about 62 feet long. It's a lot bigger than an elephant, certainly a lot bigger than a little diver there. The average sperm whale has a mouth 20 feet long by 15 feet high by 9 feet wide. That's larger than a lot of bedrooms. Whalers have found man-sized, whole licked squid and sharks inside these whales. Though it would be stifling in a whale's stomach, 104 to 108 degrees, there would be plenty of air to breathe. Whales ingest large quantities of oxygen. The gastric juices in a whale's stomach would affect the pigment in a man's skin, but the chemicals don't digest living flesh. If they did, they would eat out a whale's own stomach. A man could survive in a whale. And there have actually even been documented cases where men have been swallowed by whales and survived. One of the most famous cases in history happened in February of 1891, a sailor by the name of James Bartley. This is that story. In February 1891, the whaling ship Star of the East was in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands when the lookout sighted a large sperm whale three miles away. Two boats were lowered, and in short time, one of the harpooners was able to spear the creature. The second boat also attacked the whale, but was upset by a lash of its tail, causing the crew to fall into the sea. One of them drowned, and the other, James Bartley, simply disappeared without a trace. After the whale was killed, the crew set to work with axes and spades to remove the blubber. They worked all day and into the night. The next day, they attached tackle to the stomach in order to hoist it to the deck. In so doing, the sailors were startled by something in the stomach which gave spasmodic signs of life. Inside was found the missing sailor. Doubled up and unconscious, he was laid on the deck and treated to a bath of seawater which soon revived him. At the end of the third week, He had entirely recovered from the shock and resumed his duties on the ship. His face, neck, and hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness, and he took on the appearance of parchment. (laughs) Bartley affirms that he probably would have lived inside this house of flesh until he starved, for he lost all his senses through fright, not through lack of air. Now, if you Google that and you search that up, you'll find all kinds of criticism about that story. Some say it was made up. It didn't really happen. 
But it's a story that was around. There were eyewitnesses. I wasn't there, were you? Those critics weren't there either. And I do know that this guy died 18 years later, and on his gravestone, it was engraved, The Modern Jonah. Then there's this guy. This guy's name, Michael Packard, age 56, a lobster diver. Two years ago, June 2021, he was swallowed whole by a humpback whale. It made the news. He describes the experience. All of a sudden, I felt this huge shove, and the next thing I knew, it was completely black. I could sense I was moving, and I could feel the whale squeezing with the muscles in his mouth. I was completely inside. It was completely black. I thought myself. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. Now, he was swallowed whole wearing scuba equipment. And he was flailing around in the mouth, so this whale spit him out. He estimates that he was probably in that mouth maybe about a minute max. But people do get swallowed by whales. It can happen. Now, we think of a whale, a sperm whale, because that's the biggest sea creature we can think of. But the the word for fish in verse 17 is not whale. It's dag. It could refer to any kind of sea creature. Perhaps this was a large sea creature that existed then but is extinct now. Maybe even a big, large fish that was, came out of the dinosaur age. So you could argue with people and try to explain this naturally, scientifically, biologically. But I think you'd miss the point. Clearly, this was supernatural, right? In fact, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. That word prepared in Hebrew, very exact. The Lord carefully designed a fish. The Lord carefully equipped a fish. This was a unique preparation of a fish. Might this been a custom-designed fish by God? Custom-built to house Jonah for three days and three nights? The ancient rabbis all suggested that this fish was one of a kind. In fact, some Jewish rabbis taught that this fish was created on the fifth day of his original creation for the unique privilege of chauffeuring Jonah. And it swam the seven seas for thousands of years, waiting for the appointed time. Now, I don't know about that. But the God of the Bible is the God of the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in it. He supernaturally prepared this fish. 
And I want you to think of something for a moment. A baby is conceived in his mother's womb. God provides for that baby to float, eat, grow, and survive for 280 days in a sack of fluid. Now, I am not comparing pregnant women to whales. That, <laughs> I value my life. I'm not. But all to say, if God can preserve a human being in a sack of ambiotic fluid for nine months, do you think he might figure out how to preserve one man and a fish for three days and three nights? Or submarines. Men are pretty clever. Modern navies have nuclear subs that generate their own air and water and stay submerged indefinitely. An astute class submarine can sail around the globe 40 times over a 25-year lifespan and never surface. Humans can engineer a submarine to accommodate 98 sailors for months at a time, yet we don't think God can create a fish that can carry one man for three days and three nights. Sounds like we have more faith in men than we do God. No, God prepared this fish. And everything about this whole experience was engineered, crafted by God. God going after his rebellious prophet. Think of the timing that had to happen. Think of where that fish had to be at just the right place. The fish has been swimming for hours on a trajectory that will intersect with Jonah's freefall. A hunger pain hits the massive animal a few feet from Jonah's suspended body. The whale opens its mouth swallows Jonah. Jonah floats past the animal's teeth without getting chewed. He hits the back of its gullet, then slides down the digestive tract into the stomach. What timing? What timing? And then, of course, you look at the end of chapter 2, verse 10. It says, so the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God was driving that fish. God was directing that fish at just the right moment as the fish gets to land. God commanded it to barf up Jonah. On the dry land. And it says there, the Lord spoke to the fish. This was all God at work. Now, where did Jonah land on the shore? That's an interesting question. I'll bet he got a lot closer to Nineveh. You know, I checked like a sperm whale. I mean, they can go max 20, 24 miles per hour over three days. You could, you could go about 1,400 miles. 
During that whole time, the whale's taking Jonah somewhere. Where did God lead him? Some suggest that 2,800 years ago, you know, the Mediterranean Sea may have been connected to that Tigris River somehow. Remember, Nineveh was right on the bank of the Tigris River. This is a special fish. Wouldn't that be cool if Jonah was barfed out on the shores of Nineveh? Maybe that's why his message was so effective. God went after Jonah. God rescued Jonah. God was in control. Whatever the case, the whole experience for Jonah was absolutely terrifying. Horrific. Painful. Jonah tells us what it was like in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, (laughs) from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings or the foundations of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah describes this whole situation from when he was thrown overboard. He goes into the deep. He says he was cast into the heart of the seas. He began to fight against all those waves and the billows. He starts sinking. That detail that he gets seaweed wrapped around his face. Now, I don't know. I've never, I've never been close to drowning, but I know people who have been say there, there's this helplessness, this utter terror. Can you imagine trying to help yourself and you're wrapped up in seaweed, pulling away layer of, after layer of smelly slime. You're seeking deeper and deeper. You're fighting the grip of this crawling and trapping seaweed. Terrifying. And then as he's seeking, all of a sudden, movement, a shift in the water, total blackness. Swallowed by a fish. One author describes it this way. He's free falling. Suddenly everything went black. Perhaps the dark form of the approaching fish was noticed by the prophet. Then there was a sense of motion of being carried along. There may also have been the near birth-like experience of passing from the fish's mouth into its stomach. Probably through a very small opening. 
This could have served to extract any water from his lungs, something akin to artificial respiration. As Jonah regained consciousness, imagine the horror of his first sensations, the feel of the stomach lining of the fish pressing about him, irritation of the acidic stomach juices of the fish beginning to bleach his skin, the foul smell of the place, the passing through of the normal diet of the fish, the darkness of this place. Jonah probably didn't even know he was gobbled by a fish. Just everything went dark. It does say in verse 2 that out of the belly of Shoal I cried. Perhaps he thought he was in a grave. He'd gone down into the underworld. Said he went down to the moorings of the mountains, the deepest foundations of the earth and the ocean. He says, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Jonah said, I went into the pit. And of course, he knows he's being judged. He knows he's being disciplined. In this prayer, he says, you cast me in the water. You cast me into the deep. Jonah says, you cast me out of your presence, O Lord. He says, water surrounded me up to my soul. And being in that dark place, in that tight experience, losing track of time, disorientation. Some suggest that Jonah may have even died for a while. Others say that he was in this weird transition between life and death, going in and out of consciousness. What a terrifying thing. The only thing he could do was what? Cry out to God. Verse 7 says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. In that deepest, darkest place you could possibly imagine, Jonah cried out, and God heard, and God answered. And God won the battle of wills, wouldn't you say? Jonah repented. He said, I will, I'll pay my vows. Salvation is of the Lord. And after that terrifying experience, the Lord said, okay, we'll give you a new start. Can you imagine that sensation you may have had? As the fish starts going up, 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 breaks, thrown out onto dry land, 
probably like he was born again, raised from the dead, a brand new start. Don't we have a great God? So gracious, so loving, so wonderful. Let's face it, if, if, if you were Jonah's boss, would you have given him another chance? Now we would have fired him. But God went after him. God saved him. God changed him. Now it was messy. But God had Jonah's good in mind. And I will tell you, our God, our God can reach into the deepest, darkest pits in life and redeem. We can make the biggest messes of life. But God will reach in and redeem and save and give us another chance. Aren't you glad for second chances? How about third chances? Fourth chances. God loves you. He cares about you. He wants the very best for you. And I think it's also very significant, this story from Jonah. It's a very significant story because it points to another very significant event. In fact, Jesus, 800 years later, would speak. Verse 12 says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. By the way, that would be another argument to take the story of Jonah literally, don't you think? Jesus did. He spoke of a literal Jonah, a literal fish. If you don't take the story literally, you're at odds with Jesus. And I guess if you're comfortable with that, I'm not. Those Pharisees, they wanted a sign. And of course, no sign would convince them. By this time, they've totally rejected Jesus. Jesus knew it. He said, no sign for you except the sign of Jonah. The ultimate sign. The sign that proves without a doubt that I am who I say I am. What happened to Jonah was a picture of what our Lord would go through. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was crucified. He went into a grave for three days and three nights. And on the third day, he arose again. 
you know, this story of the sign of Jodah, it, it's, it's like the heart of the Bible. You know, the heart of the Bible, the heart of the Christian life, Old Testament, New Testament, is what Christ did for us at the cross. You know, we talked a lot about the suffering that Jonah experienced. Nothing in comparison to the suffering that Jesus experienced. Jesus went to the cross, and as you know, he experienced physical suffering beyond belief. But he experienced soul suffering, anguish of soul. He bore our sins. He was cast into the sea of human depravity, sinfulness. He bore the wrath that we deserved. God the Father turned back on the Son. Jesus could say on the cross, just like Jonah had said, you cast me away. The difference between Jesus and Jonah is Jonah deserved it, right? Jesus was perfect, sinless, and he chose to take that for us. Jesus died. He went into Shoal, actually died. His body was in a grave for three days. He experienced all of that. But then on the third day, what happened? There was an explosion, a resurrection, brand new life. We like this story of Jonah, but think about it. This is the heart of the Bible. This is the heart of the gospel. Everything points to that. We have hope because of what Christ has done for us. And tonight as we sit at the communion table, I'd like us to remember the heart of the Bible, the heart of the Christian faith, the sacrifice that Christ made for us. I'd like us to bow our heads. I'd like us to close our eyes. I'd like the lights to go down. guys who are going to help me distribute, why don't you come forward? So let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, let's stay in an attitude of absolute reverence.
I want you to know if you're here tonight and you're in a pit, you've made a mess. God sees you. And he has not given up on you. And he loves you. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you're slipping away, kind of rebelling away, going your own way, you're not going to win that battle. God loves you too much. And I would invite you to just turn around and do the right thing now. Repent. Come back to him. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never once received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never truly understood the message of the gospel. The whole point of Christianity. The whole point of the Christian faith. Every story points to it. We are sinful. But God in his grace and love and mercy sent his son to make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. Jesus was sent. Jesus came to the cross. Jesus bore our sins. Paid the price for you. And rose again. He is alive. And if you would place your faith and trust in him tonight. He'll save you. He'll forgive you. And again you might say I've dug this huge pit for myself. The Lord can get you out of that pit. The Lord can change your life. But you must put your faith and trust in him. So if you've never received Christ, I want to lead you in a prayer before we pass out these elements. If that's you, you pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. I have rebelled against you. I've done things that are so wrong. I've made a mess. And I thank you for coming and dying on the cross for me paying the price for me and rising again and right now I receive you as my Lord and Savior my brother and sister in Christ as we pass out these elements 
Thank God for what he's done for you. Renew your commitment to him. May your love for him remain fresh. May your appreciation of his grace upon your life remain like the first day you you first realized it. His goodness abounds. So let's worship. Keep these elements. We'll partake of them together. There's two cups that you're going to get. The bread is embedded in one and, and, and the juice at the top. So take both cups. Jesus, you endured my pain. Savior, you bore all my shame. 